one with the new jingle in it? It's not a fucking jingle. Alex, I've got to tell you about this. We, I thought we were going to visit Pat and Rachel for just a nice visit, a little bit of a chat. Eight hours, Pat and James were recording this fucking jingle for eight hours while I was jingle. sat down. Eight hours and it still wasn't finished. It's still not finished. So it's, I know that it's not on this episode, but you still haven't fucking finished it. How many hours does it take to make a jingle? Are we having a new jingle, James? <laughs> it, it's not... A jingle. Hi there and welcome to episode 156 of the ADHD Adults Podcast. I'm James Brown, the man whose brain is about as much use as melted plastic. And I'm joined by Dr. Alex Connor, the man who collects brains and definitely has a favourite. And the woman whose brain will one day, no doubt, be studied by someone, Mrs. ADHD. Alex, hi. Hi, my Barbie girl in a Barbie world. Is that... Is that the plastic thing? I can't. Neuroplastic, yeah. Oh, right, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, Sam, hi. Hi. How are you both, Mrs. ADHD first? How about you? No. Uh, uh, and <laughs> Alex, I suppose I'll ask with indifference. I'm excellent. Thank you both. Thank you for asking. Yeah, good. Um, Busy, busy, busy. Although the numbers, numbers in turn, Tarquin tells me, and I can't stress this enough. Blah blah blah. Numbers, numbers. Something, listeners, which is fantastic news, of course. Glad to hear it. Thanks, Tarquin. One of whom sent us a letter, James. No, no. no yeah, no. they have. It's. I'll just check who that's from. It's from a, a Robert from Kidderminster. It oh, says, surprise! <laughs> it says. I listened to your episode on ADHD and nutrition somehow. Did you know that James used to be an expert in nutrition, but that was when the three food groups were turnips, water, and dysentery. <laughs> also, his only nutritious meal is when he drinks the blood of a jogger. <laughs> He's a vampire, Dracula. Shit. That was a good one. That was a good one. Oh, messed up there. I, I did, I yeah. <laughs> I've had a real letter. Can I read it out? No. Yeah, please. Thank you, Sam. It says, okay, which is a brilliant way to start a, a letter, I think. Okay, so I've literally just paused the podcast to write this because I'm currently sitting feeling like I've been hit by a ton of bricks in a good way. James, your description of your relationship to sexuality put into words what I've been trying to work out for basically my entire life. I always felt there was something wrong with me for basically drifting between liking some people, feeling some level of asexual, and just avoiding dating entirely because I'm scared of being rejected or just didn't know how to do it. Ding, it says here. <laughs> Add to this also being OCD and rumination about sexuality being a major part of that. And it means I've spent a ton of my life feeling like a total fraud and worrying that I'm faking my sexuality somehow. Hearing someone else talking about how having similar complicated feelings has helped me so much and made me feel like I'm less awful. The podcast has helped me in loads of other ways too. You three, Sam, unusually, have been such a help as I've gone from maybe I do have ADHD to getting my diagnosis. And I wanted to say thank you. And you're all brilliant. Ali. Thank you, asked. Ali. That's, that's lovely. My take, home, my take home from that was largely that I'm the best one. Is that? 
No, no, James, it's that you're so awful that you put other people's problems into some form of perspective. That is my role in life. Christ. They might as well just write that on a piece of paper in crayon. (laughs) As usual, although to be honest, I'd hoped we'd forgotten to write these. Tarquin, the metrics intern, has stopped playing golf with Sam's posh dad to give me some information about another city we've got listeners in, the lovely Melbourne in Victoria, Australia. As you know, about five out of our top ten cities for listener metrics are in Australia. I don't know what that tells us, but we love you. Good day. I don't know. According to Tarquin's detailed research, the penguins that are often seen at St Kilda Pier in Melbourne are actually part of an elaborate aquatic government um, law related to fish distribution and seagull immigration, which they are broadly against. Thank you for that, Tarquin. It's helpful. I wish fact. that was true. You wish that I'd the government was anti? Yeah, I'd w- no, I wish the government was penguins. How do you, how do you know it isn't? This is a fact about Melbourne. Stop getting defensive over your made-up facts. Uh, anyway, as usual, this friend's dog, which is dragging its ass across your carpet, you can see it. They know it's going on, and still no one says anything of a podcast. Is a tragedy in three parts. We choose a theme. Last time around was about ADHD and nutrition, and this week we're going to be discussing ADHD and neuroplasticity, or can the brain change with time, treatment, training, etc. Yes. Thanks to the listeners, including Rach, Liz on Patreon, and others who suggested this topic. Now, the three parts of a slightly different structured podcast include, of course, the Elmo Op of Sesame Street of Evidence, Alex the Psycho. I don't know who that is. Hello. Education Monkey, talking about the theme, our personal reflections and tips in section two. And then finally, we'll be answering some questions which you've sent in. So it's slightly different, slightly new, maybe novel, maybe shit. We don't know. But no jingle yet. Not jingle. Disappointing. So, Alex, I know that technically... You're a scientist in rabbit ears who works with brains, but I'll ignore that anyway and just imagine you know nothing. Crack on. Uh, I'm not a scientist in rabbit ears, I feel I should add. This, these, <laughs> these are headphones. <laughs> okay, the human brain undergoes significant development from way before birth, all through early adulthood, and there are some key stages. So a really early boring list clacks on. Mm. We have prenatal brain development. It begins just a few weeks after conception. By the end of the first trimester, which I like saying, because it makes me feel like an American doctor. So by the end of the first three months of pregnancy, the basic structure of the brain is formed, although that's where James's one stopped. And throughout that entire pregnancy, uh, neurons are produced and begin to form connections with other neurons, with each other and with the body. Then you're born, and the the next three years after birth are explosive growth in the brain. The number of synapses, those connections between neurons, that's wildly increased. When you're two or three, a child's brain has up to twice as many synapses as it will have in adulthood. Interestingly, this is a critical period for sensory pathways like vision and hearing and language development. It's also why babies are awful, because they're busy doing other things. So they're just the worst. From three to five years, typically this is, the brain continues to grow super quick. Absolutely crucial, again, for the development of controlling emotions and the refinement of motor skills that might uh, ring a bell with you. Right, 
preschool and you start school and then until you go to high school, five to 12, the, the brain starts to really strengthen those synapses, those connections, the ones specifically that you use more frequently. And we prune away the ones that are not. This is called neural pruning. Absolutely critical for how we develop thinking skills, cognitive skills. The diagnosis of ADHD is currently not the, we're not in charge of this. Don't I get mm. people get angry with me for saying it. Currently, yes, if you want a diagnosis of ADHD, the symptoms have to be present by this age. So it's likely that changes in brain development have already occurred by so, now. If, I mean, you've gone early there. You've ruined my only joke in this fucking section by mentioning ADHD in the very first bit that you've read out. Bab, just quiet and let the grown-up talk. All right. All right. Allow. I, after being rudely interrupted, I will continue the boring list. Adolescence. The, the brain undergoes another major period of development during adolescence uh, that James is still going through with significant changes in the prefrontal cortex. Remember, that's the one just behind the, the, the forehead that coordinates those executive higher order functions and the limbic system involved in regulating, controlling motions, processing reward. It's the ADHD bit, amongst other things. Right then, early adulthood, up to mid-20s, brain in, in in on average in in everyone your brain is still developing people we're not adult at eight, we're not fully baked at 18 it's just not true brain development continues into early adulthood the maturing of the prefrontal cortex is one of the last areas developed over 20 years that is for a brain human brain to develop 200 for you james and <laughs> in people with adhd it's slower for years and years, people thought that the brain is is finished when it's done. It's all done, ready to rock and roll, James. That's what we say, isn't it, cool people? <laughs> Until the term neuronal plasticity or something similar, probably in Spanish, was first used by the amazingly named Santiago Ramón y Cajal. You killed my father, prepared to die. In the early 20th century, who used it to describe non-pathological changes in the structure of adult brains. That means not because of disease or something, just changes that happen to everyone. Before this, every scientist pretty much working on brains thought that it was a fixed number of neurons in the adult brain. You can't replace them. And if they die, um, that's it, the end of them. Like if, for example, <laughs> I see what you've done. It says here, like, for example, every early evening pre-2023 when I enjoyed a glass or two of Chateau Lafitte. That's, <clears> yeah. <throat> Well, Carlsberg special proof. Let's be honest. I genuinely, when I was an alcohol abuser, you're not supposed to say that anymore. I l liked Carlsberg special proof. Like, actually liked <laughs> oh my it. God, I used oh. to chill it. Uh, oh. Can't do that anymore. In the 1960s, the term neuroplasticity was used to describe changes that happen in the neurons of adult brains thought to be fixed. There can be positive or negative changes like on our behaviours and on our lives. But what they proved was that the brain isn't finished in our mid-20s or any point really and can and does change through life. So straight away, right early on, they were looking at stress on the brain, seeing what happened. And what was surprising was that stresses didn't always kill neurons sometimes it led to uh <laughs> adult neurogenesis james or <laughs> it annoys you every time when i pronounce it wrongly Fucking neuro does, yeah. 
Genesis. So that is making new ones, making new neurons as an adult and making new connections between brain areas, a plastic element to brain development. In adult brains, the development of new neurons in adult brains gives hope that even damaged or poorly connected brain regions can be repaired. Oh, sorry. I was just thinking <laughs> then. Oh, my God. So me getting stressed then can repair my brain. But I might have misunderstood that. Right. Our brains can change. So what? Yeah. I mean, two excellent questions. Isn't it? And I would say flawlessly delivered. <laughs> yeah. Because you must have heard of good stress and bad stress, which sort of came in in the 90s. And that's where that idea comes from. The idea that all tension is bad tension. It's more of our interpretation of it and the effect on us. I will deal with that later. Yeah. Oh, if you're going to deal with it, I'll uh, retract my hand. Oh. <laughs> Ding! <Yeah>. Definitely. <laughs> Excellent question, Sam. <laughs> Amazing. Neuroplasticity in adult brains is fundamental for lots of reasons. Uh, it reflects the brain's ability to adapt and change in response to new information, new experiences and changes in the environment as adults. Crucial for continuing to learn, to continue to make memories and to recover from brain injuries. So I know you've already mentioned it and ruined my bit, but what about the thing, ADHD? Calm down, Bab, again. Brian's scanning studies, James. <laughs> Professor Brian. <laughs> generally found that stimulant treatment for ADHD tends to increase the rate of dopamine release in synapses in, in various brain regions. That's, that's what it's for, right? Amongst other neurotransmitters are available. But... What they've also seen is evidence of neuroplastic changes in individuals with ADHD, including that both the condition itself and the treatment of the condition can alter brain structure and functioning. Excuse me. Still got a bit of a cold. Right. Before I say the next bit, it's really important to say that there is nothing wrong with our brains. And some people might be offended by the idea of making a brain more normal, but the but our brains are measurably different and that can lead to problems. If you have ADHD, then it was because of uh, problems in life, whether it's societal or otherwise, it's, that's, you know, it's, it's what it is, condition. The brain changes, the neuroplasticity brain changes can lead to better outcome, outcomes in life. So there is evidence to suggest, and a second boring list clacks on, sorry about that. That the brain structure and function can change. So these neuroimaging techniques, amazing like internal video photographs, shown that stimulant medication treatment may be associated with normalization of the differences in prefrontal cortex and neurochemical effects. That means that stimulant medications might be enhancing neural connections and the communication between our neurons in a brain, leading to get this improved symptoms and functioning in adults with ADHD. Over time, that might be contributing to long-term positive changes in brain neuroplasticity. In children, there might be certain brain areas that become, in inverted commas, normalized within normal parameters, that means, in medicated ADHD children compared to ADHD children who didn't receive any stimulant medication. The Normalization seemed to have been to be blocked if they if other drugs like antipsychotics, medical ones, were used as well. What this means is that for children who take stimulant medication, there is some solid evidence that it might be rewiring the brain 
So it looks and works more like a non-ADHD brain. And do those changes last even after they stop taking medication? Yeah, that's a that is a genuinely excellent question, Sam. Sam, James, it's not hard. It's not hard. You just want to do a good question. Christ, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Um, so when you do studies that they do over long times, so they call longitudinal, which I really like. Um, these longitudinal studies suggest that if you consistently treat um, during childhood with stimulant medication, there can be, yeah, lasting changes in brain structure and function with improved outcomes for ADHD symptoms. Some evidence suggests that the age of, age of the onset of using medication and the, the duration of how long that treatment is can influence the magnitude of the medication effects on brain structure and function. Looking at adults with ADHD, before and after, so they took a three-year stimulant treatment time period, looking at before and after three years of stimulant use, and the volume of relevant brain, brain areas are similar to people who didn't use stimulants, but increased compared to non-medicated ADHD. Sorry, they're, they're, the, the medication treatment similar is to, similar to muggles. Yeah. Hang on. So it, yeah, if if you if the controls being if you've got controls who are people that didn't who don't have ADHD and obviously don't take medication, the brain areas are similar to them, but they are slightly increased compared to ADHD adults who didn't take medication. So there may be some normalizing effect. As usual, more research is needed. Captain Buzzkill again. If you look at the long-term impacts of medication on neuroplasticity are, are obviously not ready yet because we haven't been medicating people for that long. Whether these changes are sustained in over longer periods of time without continued medication, we just don't know. That's how it is. That was some good information. Terribly delivered. Thank really. you. Um, and on that note, we'll take a break and we'll come back for personal reflection reflections. <laughs> Fucking done it again. You only had one, but, one sentence. Come on. For personal reflections and our tips. See you in a bit. Bye. No, thanks, Brian Brains. Alex. Hi. Hi. What's up? Hello, Governor. Welcome back to episode 156 of the ADHD <laughs> Adults Podcast. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I came in so confidently as well, Ding. Um, where we're talking about ADHD and neuroplasticity. Can an ADHD brain change? In this part, we'll talk about our personal reflections and tips. Well, I won't because I haven't got any. James, what about you? <laughs> I have to just say, James, welcome back to episode 156 of and then forgetting what it is. <laughs> <laughs> what is... it's brilliant it's it's on brand though isn't it it's on brand very much so. it's a difficult one to give personal reflections for and tips um really isn't it but it is an interesting subject i get asked a lot um at the little talks and that about from parents who are considering medicating their kids oh, yeah. and i do hear from a lot of parents who obviously don't want to medicate their kids completely understand that nobody wants to have to give their child medicine every day yeah. um and obviously what i always say is it's a personal choice i think you should consider it and then i mention this i talk about the fact that it's not just about mitigating symptoms it's not just about on a day-to-day -day basis maybe controlling 
um, hyperactivity or controlling the, the other issues that children with ADHD have as well as adults. But it could be about setting them up for the future. Because if you look at the evidence and if that evidence you know, is uh, carried out in that future research, Al, in the kind of study that no one's ever going to fund, like a 30 or 40 year study on um, ADHD and medication, then that changed or altered neurodevelopment, neurogenesis, et cetera, may help them later on in life. And that's what the statistics show. If you don't look at the change of the brain, just look at the medication, children that are medicated have better outcomes. So I think you have to kind of consider those two things. As an adult, again, a lot of us are medication hesitant. Um, and yeah. a lot of us are also struggling to get medication at the minute in the UK with the medication shortage, which I guess is probably worldwide as well, actually. Yeah. And again, that, that medication hesitancy is understandable. I was before I got many, many years before I got diagnosed, etc. And I think really this is about that choice is maybe informing that choice that if you have the opportunity to try medication it might not just help your daily symptoms it might as we've just said actually help your brain slightly rewire itself to make those symptoms easier to manage um in the future i don't know i've now been on meds when was i diagnosed february 2021 finished titration it was a four-month waiting list back then finished titration around august something like that and I don't know if, so one of the things I think we've mentioned before is long-term adherence to ADHD medication isn't great. It's about 12.5% after five yeah. years. So most people stop taking their meds. And what we don't know, is it because they just forget? Is it because their symptoms get better because the brain is rewiring itself? Is it because the side effects get worse? Is it because the drugs lose their effectiveness? Now, if I don't take my meds on a given day now, I'm not that much different. I'm a little bit less motivated early on in the morning, um, and I have a little bit less bandwidth later on in the day, but I'm not as utterly chaotic as things were before diagnosis. Now, obviously, other things have been put in place, so there's a possibility that parts of my ancient 347-year-old brain have yeah. changed slightly, or it could just be that now I accept myself and change my job. It's, it's hard to say, but we we really need research on this. You know, it's it's we're probably Alex and I used to have to write you know, big European grants, and they tend to fund mm -hmm. some of the more interesting stuff. And we're probably in the next five years going to see a lot more calls for these grants because now everyone's realizing ADHD is a thing. It needs to be better understood. We do need more research. My tip. Do you want my tip, guys? I want your tip, James. <laughs> I know you do well. You've been trying for years. Um, you know, monitor your symptoms because you've got poor metacognition and we often don't actually take time to self-reflect because it's just everything's on fire most days. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe have a yearly check-in and you'll, if you're under the care of a psychiatrist, you will have to do something like this, but see how your symptoms develop over time. Have things changed? Um, you know, if they've changed, is it because you know, you're medicated and, you know, your brain might be working in a way that's more conducive to day-to-day -day stuff. And the other, the other thing is the second part of that tip is if you can't take medication for many reasons, don't believe some of the bullshit out there about brain training because you'll see loads of these apps now, for example, saying only people with ADHD can work out this diagram and you've yeah, got to draw lines between. Story. Yeah, exactly. And, and a lot of the things that, again, that are marketed as brain training, et cetera, you know, probably don't actually change the significantly the brain 
Um, so that is really badly delivered and poorly thought out personal reflection and tip. I'm, I'm fascinated and really excited about Sam. Sam, what about you? Can I throw a question? Can I throw a question? Yes. Advance to it. Oh, oh. <laughs> I like that. It's this. How do you feel about the possibility that the meds you take might be permanently changing your brain? I'm not particularly. That's it, isn't it? I'm not either. I feel like I should be. <laughs> I feel a bit negligent. <laughs> I'm not bothered. It's a pile of shit before. What's the worst? It I know. Be? Yeah, I, I can't get any worse. Surely, sure. I mean, I <laughs> could. I don't know. Um, but what? I was just trying to think about if my brain has changed. Things that make it difficult, though, are because I'm not masking as much now that makes me think that I might be a bit worse, but I'm just not masking as much. Um, but I'm the same as James. If I don't take my meds, I'm still kind of okay. And I've not been taking them for as long as you, but I think I'm only okay for a day or two and then I'm shit again. Um, and obviously I can still be shit on the meds. But what I was going to say was hormones, that must have a major effect as well because but I don't know if this is something completely different, but I coped no, right until my hormones went to shit. And then I felt like my brain just forgot everything and completely changed. Absolutely. And and they change. The neuroplasticity is affected by hormones and changes in hormones. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, because that was the that was the massive, massive change for me where things were because, you know, we we I think especially in society, the certain things are expected of of women or people who present as women. And I think you have to fucking mask and find loads yeah. of coping strategies. And then when they fall apart, you all of a sudden think you're a complete mess. So it's hard to gauge how my brain has changed because of all these different things that are going on. Yeah, it's going to change anyway. James. I just yeah no I think just just to add your brain's slightly more complicated because of your almost certain um autism as well uh, and I, I think as an external person who shares a house with you and has almost no feelings internal. for you whatsoever yeah sometimes internal <laughs> I think you are kind of unmasking the autism faster than you unmask the ADHD and yeah. I think that, that we've always talked about it. It's a it's a it's a bad analogy, but we've always talked about your autistic brain and your ADHD brain, how they actually sometimes work together, and uh, sometimes there's confliction yeah. in the one part of your brain really wants you to do something, but the other part is screaming, "Do something else!" And I don't know if the brain development, because um, the script intern didn't look it up, if neurogenesis <laughs> happens in autistic spectrum conditions as well, and whether stimulant medication impacts, that's your complicated case, I'd say. Well, Interesting. There's no, there's no medication, is there? But what we know is mm. that... Well, there is in the States. They, they use stimulants in the States. For, uh, just for people yeah. who are autistic? Do they? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to look that up. What they do know is that the stimulant medication may be exacerbating autistic symptoms in ADHD people. Mm. That's it's becoming more and more noticeable and common. It, it's not. It mm. might be that you're able to concentrate on your autistic behaviours because they're a part of who you are. It's not clear if that's everyone or why, but it's it is being noticed. Oh, that'd be interesting to look in at some point. 
Yeah. Uh, although, is it? I don't know. Alex, yes. what about you? <laughs> um, it's a tricky one, this, isn't it? It's, if you ask me if I was sure that neuroplasticity because of the stims changing our brains positively, is it true? I would say I'd, I'm not sure it's true. Um, I think it probably is. If you ask me, I'm sure that there aren't negative consequences of the meds permanently on brains. I would say I'm not sure of that either. And that's a danger. What I would say that on balance for me as an, as an individual, it's worth taking the meds because of the the risk and the power of not taking them is so negative on me. I, I feel sometimes like I'm still here because, in part, because of of the meds, and, and therefore it's such a personal decision. I would never encourage mm. anyone either way, really. Yeah, definitely. What I will say is that the the neuroplasticity and the the meds are useful for me for emotional acceptance and understanding that the brain is plastic and how it develops over time. That's really, really useful to know that ADHD is different from birth, from pre-birth. Mm. Also, the problem with neuroplasticity, it's a minefield, as James said, for people on the internet making up shit to sell you other shit. It's really, really common. I, I find it really useful to know that my brain growth was delayed and different to other people explains my younger years, explains my behaviour now, the, the the fear of getting a proper job, the fear of being an adult, all of that, still playing with toys at 15 and also now. My, my brain works differently to most people, you know, outside of normal parameters, um, which was a phrase used for... Um, yeah, you're psychopath. Yeah, but on top of that, on top of the psychopathy, it's the, the, the wildness of ADHD is... is for me, it's really nice to know that it's physical. It's not my fault. It's not just weakness. I'm ignoring your psychopathy joke. Um, I, I, if my only top tip is, and I'm going to use the word hack because then it makes me an internet influencer, James, and they send you free <laughs> trainers and whatnot, probably. Um, but having a positive lens is different to po positive toxicity. You know, isn't it a superpower? You can hack the plastic part of your brain a bit, probably. And what you can, and the way you do that is by making a note somewhere, not to catastrophize your life and your behaviors. Yes, it's a problem, your ADHD. No, it isn't the end of the world, unless it literally is. You know, it isn't. You, we have to look what we're good at. So, positive lens, not toxic, means what have you done? What you actually have done, right? I've done this. What do you actually want to do? The real you going forward, not not what, how do you want to be seen, but what do you want to do? Form follows function when you're making short-term goals and plans. Do, do things that you're good at anyway, or you would want to do anyway. And that leads to positive brain development. You're, you're hacking neuroplasticity in a way, and you don't have to pay anybody to do that. It's really simple, unless you just forget you have to write that shit down somewhere where you'll read it. On my office wall, it says, trust the process, even letters on a piece of paper. Because I forget that my coaching process works. And I've been doing this for 15 years. And I just forget. Start giving advice or some shit to people, which I haven't got. And I have to, have to remember, oh, no, that's not what you do. It's been 15 years and there's no sign of me remembering. So you can hack it, but it does require, especially with ADHD, repetitive reminders. That's it. That's me. Just a tip, James. Hack it. Speak, speaking of repetitive things. Oh, um, God, no. Yeah. 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 Of course, you've got time for the game. Um, I've got a few written down because it's, it's been a rough few weeks, to be fair. So <clears throat> Sam and I had a disastrous trip to London, which was our first weekend away, and everything went Sounds wrong. Sounds lovely. 
it, it was just it was incredible but something something went wrong um with apple pay when i was at the tube okay so you've got three options option one had i forgotten to re remove the um credit card which was set as the primary card which i've since deleted the um not deleted removed the direct debit for so i've got to charge for it um option two did i uh, forget that I needed to click the button twice to get it to get Apple Pay up. So I was stood at the, uh, what do you call it, the gate for a while. Or number three, did I not realize or forget, forgot, forget, my God, my brain's not working today, that the phone needed to be unlocked for Apple Pay to work to get me through the turnstile. Oh. Right, so you just stood there at the turnstile. It was either that you put the wrong credit card on, you didn't press a button, or you didn't unlock your phone. I think that it isn't that you forgot, didn't forget to unlock your phone because you've got no reflection, so you have to put in a code anyway. <laughs> you're used to that because you're a Dracula, you see. Nice. I think that you didn't forget to remove the old credit card because you've had 738 credit cards because that's how old you are in years because you're Dracula. So you didn't, you simply didn't press the button. Look at his smug little face. That's his face when he knows I'm wrong. He's so just, obvious. Just typing in 7-7 seven, seven on my little <laughs> scoreboard. Oh my God, my... have you finally started recording scores? For this series, yeah, for this season. We've, we've been saying wow. it in every episode you've been in, Sam. Yeah, you've um, Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, no, I've actually for about a year I've had a credit card set up as the primary card and kept on thinking, no, I don't want that to be paid for by that credit card. And since cleared that debt and cancelled the direct debit, but kept the card open because you know might need an emergency know, purchase, and then just didn't think, and obviously it got added to the credit card, and then I didn't pay the oh. tiny amount off that month to Mister Payment. So well done me for that well done alex for getting it wrong we'll take a break and we'll come back in part three to answer some of your questions see you in a bit bye no. thank you welcome me. back to episode 156 of um <laughs> don't know the adhd adults part three not as always not as always we're doing a new thing, which is answering questions that we get because we get so many on the form and we don't remember to do Friday episodes anymore because of reasons. So we're doing question, your questions answered in part three, which is why Just a Tip was in part two. I think that's right. Oh, James, was I supposed to leave room for your little jingle here? Or is that not? Oh, sorry. Yeah, is this, yeah. this going to go on and beyond when the new intro music is there? Is this just, is this just a thing? If it's there, ever there. It will. Yeah, nobody believes yeah. that they'll be there. If you just it, do another eight or nine hours of your jingle, it's spread over a year. Yeah. Ding. Right. I'll ask the first question, shall I? Well, I won't. Sam, would you would you ask the first question? Garden. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Greetings and salutations. A question for the dadults. I, unmedicated, can focus quite well with music of 140 beats per minute blasting in my ear holes. I know it drowns out all the distractions, but that particular BPM also motivates me to do tasks sometimes. If I'm in paralysis mode, I just put on my curated motivation playlist and off I go. I would like to know some science behind it, please. I'm afraid the playlist will become ineffective and I don't know how to replace it. Obviously, a bit of speed might help. Thank you all for everything you do. Love heart, Claire O'Bear on the Discord. 
card and a smiley face. I, can I just ask if if James knows that you it was you that wouldn't said adult to we people are still teasing you about it or if you Me? just ignore? Yeah. No, no, no. I, oh, yeah, I know. I know that I've said all the oh, things. He knows every gone. mistake he's yeah. ever made. Oh, oh, yeah. And I'm reminded of them, ironically, normally by you two <laughs> during the recording of this podcast. Not just us. Also, no, exactly. Claire O'Bear on the Discord, yes. to be fair. Alex, do you want to go with an answer? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think you know more about this, James, because I'm not very music, am I? But mm. I, I'm, I know there are studies that show, for example, listening to music in classrooms is helpful for ADHD children, which is not what you're allowed to do. We're, we're all forced into this. So, but in terms of actual BPM, I have no clue at all. James, have you got any idea on that one? No, I haven't. And it's interesting. What we yeah, know really is, is that the, the, the listening to music that you like, that you have an emotional connection with, gives you dopamine. And obviously, dopamine, as we know, increasing it, whether it's by medication or exercise, you know, can help diminish the internal noise and improve some of the symptoms. The, the motivation thing, I think, is is fascinating that I use this to motivate myself. So I go outside and stick on music. One of my favorite songs, ironically, is 135 beats per minute. So I don't know whether or not it's the tempo. Ironic. But for me, but for me, it's the... <laughs> It's the drum. I've been writing a jingle, Sam, so I'm all into BPMs at the minute. <laughs> Christ. Um, well, you, you're okay with it being called a jingle now? <laughs> I'm not. No, it's not a, a fucking, it's not a fucking jingle. <laughs> Amazing. Honestly, no, Pat's going to be listening to this going fucking mental, and I am right with him on it. Honestly. Like Pat. Well done on your intro music, Pat. Oh, you... What? Anyway... <laughs> So it, uh, this is what I do. I actually have recommended this, this recently to a couple of coaching clients for the start of the day. That trying to get started at the start of the day, whether it's an eight thirty start, and I've you know you ask them as you do, Alex. You know what what gives you motivation, what can get you going. And for quite a few people, it is music, and that idea of setting up a playlist, which we've got it. We've got our ADHD adult Spotify playlist, which people can add to, and lots of people have. Um, and a lot of the stuff on there might not give you that motivation, but it does for me. And, and fast, loud, lots of drums. Absolutely, there is something about it that gives me that motivation that if I'm in between, got four coaching sessions and there's a gap of five minutes where I can run downstairs and have a fag and put music on, it, it just gives me that lift and gets me back into what can be tiring. It kind of takes the edge off the symptoms. Before people ask, by the way, the dopamine playlist is on our website, mm. the ADHDadults.uk. Go, Alex. No, that, that's not how it works. When you put your hand up, it's like a natural pause. <laughs> and we've been doing this no, probably not. for 150. No, um, binaural beats, there's no evidence that that works at the moment. Uh, yeah. it, people always tell me. For that. Did you? You bought yes, that? Was accidentally. That... Well, I did a free trial uh, and then obviously didn't fucking cancel yeah. it. And I've paid like a quid yeah. for the year, and it, it was like to help me sleep and stuff, and it didn't work anyway. Carry on. At the moment, it's it's the evidence says it doesn't is limited, but there is limited evidence as well. So if it works for you, I'm not telling you what mm. you, you are. It's just that at the moment, it's not something we would advise or ask you to advise because it's uh, it, it's very much the magic Gabor Mate potion of the uh, of the hearing world. Yeah, it really works for some people, but it didn't for me, unfortunately. Okay, I've got a question. Thank you, Sam. This is from Anna, and it says, Hi, 
I've been listening to the podcast for ages and I've been to one of the little talks too in Rabbit Ears, James. That's for you. I love our audience. I got my diagnosis last week. Woo-hoo. Combined type. Thank you for all the info, which was a huge help. So my questions are, one, at what point does someone go from being a child with a few symptoms but not the disorder to an adult with ADHD? Can it be any point in adulthood? I believe the diagnosis guidance says five plus symptoms must be present for more than six months. And and B, what is the difference between hyperfocus and hyperfixation? Thanks. Thanks, Anna. So just to answer B, so hyperfocus and hyperfixation are essentially probably the same thing. That they're, they're interchangeable words for that really short-term focusing on something. Some people use it differently. But if you're ADHD, for example, you have a constant special interest. That's, that's going on for days, weeks, months. That's your special interest. Whereas that laser-guided thing is hyperfocus or hyperfixation. The other one, James, the other question, what it might be a slight misunderstanding from something we said, so we have to deal with that, don't we? Yeah. So at what point does someone go from being a child with a few symptoms but not the disorder? Uh, really, it's, it's the point of diagnosis because if you've got these the symptoms, you obviously need to be assessed to have the diagnosis. And I suppose the difficulty is that... There are, there are issues there. A, the, the different diagnostic um, approaches worldwide. So some organizations use the World Health Organization's ICD-11 definition uh, and criteria, which we think is better than the American Psychiatric Association's DSM-5 criteria. And Russell Barkley's got his own, which which are better, better still. Yeah, really so, good. you know, a child having a few symptoms um, to being an adult with ADHD, you would have had... The disorder if you had sufficient symptoms and they were having a moderate impact on two domains of life which is also a problem because a lot of the assessors tend to just look at school and home even though there are way more domains like sleep like um socialization etc um and it, so it really comes down to i don't know i'm lost well, what, what what you won't get is a diagnosis of adhd if you didn't have significant symptoms as a child you, you will not qualify for an ADHD diagnosis. So this, mm-hmm. uh, it might be a mistake in what we said on the podcast or a mistake mm-hmm. in understanding, Anna, but you can't go from a child with a few symptoms but not the disorder yeah. to an adult with ADHD. If you had the symptoms as a child but nobody diagnosed you, of course you become an ADHD adult. <clears throat> That's what we all were. What you can't go from is a child that coped to an adult with ADHD. Because by medical definition, to get an ADHD diagnosis, you had to have had the symptoms as a child beyond anyone's capacity to cope with them. Does that make sense? They had to be really, really, really clear. If, like me, you had a a family life where your symptoms were very clearly there and severe, but you were protected by lovely parents from any negative impacts on you, they were still very strongly there and school was a fucking nightmare. But you, you can't, yeah. you, you don't go from a few symptoms as a kid and coping to having ADHD as an adult. It's not, you wouldn't receive a diagnosis. Uh, nobody, no assessor would allow that. It's literally in the criteria. So that's that's the, the bold answer. The one about hyperfixation and hyperfocus though, I'm glad you said that because I didn't, I've always thought of it as so separate in my mind and thought that they were separate things. I didn't know that they were interchangeable. Yeah, and words are, words are organic anyway, aren't they? So if people yeah, choose I think to of them, them as completely different things. So yeah, thank you for that. We need a word, don't we, for the hyperfocus that's bad for you and hyperfocus that's good, and we don't have a way. I thought in... I had two different words. 
<laughs> yeah, so thank you for making my universe slightly worse and smaller. Is that what you say? <laughs> yeah. Have you got a third question for us, James? Jim I have, yeah. It's from, from Harry from Bridgewater. I do like it when people add the from wherever. I it do. says... I've only recently realized this, but I have a real difficulty describing or rating pain. If it doesn't <laughs> yeah. make me go, ow, ow, then I don't know how to describe it. Is this common for ADHDers? Yes. Either of you? Mm. I, isn't it common for everybody? No, yes. like, how, that's again how you. How do you know? That's it's again so you. Personal. Oh, is so, that me externalizing things? Yeah, describing it, it is, most people can describe pain and most people yeah. can rate pain even if they do it wrongly on a linear scale because it's not. I mean, I, the amount of pain clinics I've been to where people that have got hip pain will call it 10 out of 10. And I'm sure it is very painful, but they've never been eaten by a bear or dipped into a vat of acid, <laughs> which I'm sure is probably more painful than, than hip pain. Oh, it but, is. but for some, for some people who are, for example, alexithymic, as we've covered in the past, describing pain, physical symptoms is is an issue it's, ah. it, it is also an issue for everyone yes but not probably on average not as much as it is for people with adhd on average right. remember sometimes you have to use the i use the bristol stool chart james for the mm. pain responses i don't know what you use <laughs> it's you know i i i quite like some owl pain as well which I don't understand i have a really weird yeah yeah it helps me to focus i use it all the time i use pain all the time this is not help. This is not a use a good tip. It's a coping don't mechanism. Think. Don't knock me. No, I wouldn't <laughs> ah, advise yeah. other people to use it. But I use pain <laughs> focus all the time. Wow, that is not that is maladaptive. I'm... I know, but I've had to mask all my life, Alex. You know, I think I do as well, Sam. Actually, and we have to talk about these things, don't we? It's, so and I think also have. also it's important to say it's not like you don't try and relieve the pain. It's not that you think, right, I'm going to make sure I keep this pain now here because it'll allow me to focus on something. It's oh, it's yeah. just that when you have pain, it does sharpen. It can sharpen your. Oh no, I mean I use it like I'll I'll dig my nails into myself. Right. Okay. Yeah. That, that's <laughs> that's yeah. That's bad. really really bad. Yeah. Quite often, well, if bad. I'm speaking to somebody, I'm like digging. My, I'll try and grow my nails and dig them into me so that I can focus, or I'll oh, get a pen or a pencil and dig. I do it during this podcast and just dig it into me. Yeah. I use oh, it, it feels it's like it to me, but I don't have to do it. Yeah, it's it's grounding yourself in a way. It's keeping your mind from wandering and from yeah, being distracted exactly. by having something physical. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. God, okay. On that bombshell. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that was episode 156 of the ADHD Adults Podcast. It's gone very somber now, hasn't it? Where we talked about ADHD and neuroplasticity, apparently, mm -hmm. said in the script. Oh, speech. Or, or can an ADHD brain change? If by miracle you enjoy yeah. this episode, you can find more content by subscribing on Patreon. If you can visit the website, www.theadhdadults.uk to find out more, to send us a letter, to find the playlist, send us a question or an idea for a topic. Um, or, you know, at some point, leave a really bad review that um, misrepresents what we do as a podcast um, entirely. Uh, see you next time. Bye. And please do give us a review because we only get the odd one and they're, they're always like someone who's grumpy. Love you. Bye, all. Trigger warning,